Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Eating Crow Podcast. Here's your host, Pete Durand. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Eating Crow podcast. I'm your host, Pete Durand, and I've got the uh, honor of having a very special guest, Gary Butte, who's the CEO of North Carolina FC Youth Soccer Club, and uh, Gary's also a good friend. So we're going to jump into the heavy weight that's on his shoulders about how to handle one of the largest sports clubs in the country uh, in one of the most crazy times we've ever seen as a country. So um, also, Gary's got a great background. We're going to talk about family. Um, he's got kids in competitive sports at the college level. And we're going to talk about what they're doing and, and deep. Uh, we'll probably dig into what it's like to be uh, not only a business person, but also a dad in these crazy times. So um, we may share a couple of mistakes we've both made in the, back, in the past as well. So Gary, uh, welcome. Well, thanks, Pete. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, glad to have you here. Uh, so what I'd like to do is, uh, is talk about, um, you know, first of all, have us you know, give us a little background on, on NCFC, you know, how, this is a big club, right? I mean, it's one of the biggest clubs in the country. Yeah. Yeah. So what we say is it's the largest youth to pro soccer club in the country. So right. we have about 14,000 kids and I'll say that's pre COVID about okay. 14,000 kids. Um, and then we also have the full pathway from three years old, all the way up through your under 23s for college kids. And then our pro mm-hmm. our pro teams for both the men and the women. So, it's a it's a lot it's a lot of kids it's a, it's a huge asset to the community and um, you know it's a lot of fun a lot of fun with these kids so when you say that i mean how many parents again i mean there's a, there's a lot of parents involved right in volunteers yeah yeah well so if you if you look at uh, our coaches our volunteer coaches we have about 1700 jeez so it's about 60 breakdowns about 65 full-time staff about 200 paid coaches and about 1,700 volunteer coaches. How many fields do you guys manage? It's 175, give or take. One or two. It's a big business. It is. It's very big. So what were you doing before you got to NCFC, Gary? Well, this is all I've ever done is run soccer clubs, really. When I, well, I take that. When I, when I was coming out of grad school, it was either am I going to go into the large event. Am I going to go work for the Capitals or the Saints or, mm-hmm. you know, Madison Square Garden was, was kind of what I was thinking when I was getting my master's degree. And I said, well, you know, I, I want to do that or I, I want to get into the soccer world. So I took the first job that came and I uh, went to work for a YMCA in Alabama. Wow. And was their, their fitness director at a brand new YMCA that was built. Um, both sports, fitness director. And in about a year, I loved my job, loved working for the Y, a lot of great people, loved what I did, loved the mission of the Y. And, but about a year in, I said, soccer is what I want to do. And so about six months later, I was named executive director of a, of a small club in Montgomery, Alabama. And I just hit, uh, I think, starts year number 23 of running soccer clubs. And you played, didn't you, as well? I did. I did. I played in college and um, – I didn't actually, the, funny, the interesting part is, is I didn't start playing soccer until I was 16. 
Jeez. So how was your how was your typical football, baseball, swimming? Um, played all the different sports, and uh, my brothers played soccer. I didn't, and then one of my best buddies, the team needed a goalkeeper, and I was a pretty good athlete, and I was a I was an All American in college about three years later. So, well, um, interesting path. Goalie's probably one of the few places you could probably get away with being a really good athlete and getting on a soccer field, right? Nowadays, you yes. just can't do that. That's a fact. No, no. What these kids are doing now, yeah, uh, is training-wise, not even close to what I was able to do. Yeah, back then we were playing. Uh, we all played four sports, right? And uh, you you enjoyed the transition from season to season. It's a grind for these kids to get to the college level. They got to play year-round. Uh, it's and it's and it's even, it's it's year-round and it's extra training and it's team training and it's bigger, faster, stronger training and it's mental conditioning and it's it is. But these kids now who are coming on and playing, getting into this D1 and playing at these levels are, I mean, they're, they're uniquely gifted people and athletes. So we'll touch on, uh, on how you're managing, you know, the new world of COVID in, in a few minutes, but let's, let's drill down a bit farther in, uh, in how you view, and maybe, maybe some input for parents. We're both parents. We've got kids that were fortunate enough to play at the college level. Uh, kind of understand what that grind is, but there's a lot of people out there whose kids are in junior high, getting into high school, and they have that vision. They want to play a college sport, right? So soccer is really no different than basketball or baseball or, you know, any other uh, really intense club sport. So um, when you're thinking about talking to uh, a rec group or a challenge group, right, before they get into the classic level, um, what are you telling them to look for in their kid that says they might want to do this? I think first and foremost is uh, to, to love the game and, and right. enjoy what you're doing. I think uh, nowadays there's so much pressure put on these kids yeah. uh, for what they're doing and, and how they got to do it and to make these teams, to make a classic, a competitive level team at NCFC is difficult. I mean, right. it, it's not easy. And, and I tell you, one of the things I'm most proud about about our club is our challenge program, which most clubs in this country aren't doing that anymore. And it's that, right. That next level, good athletes, good soccer players. Uh, most are moms and dads who are volunteering their time and giving back, coaching the game. But it allows the kids to play multiple sports. Yep. So it's a kid who's not really wanting to, you know, really get after it, but they still want the competitiveness of a, of a level that's that, that's higher than just, you know, just show up once a week type of thing. Um, but, yeah, just it's love the game, continue to work hard, uh, you know, we always we always talk about this. The best players at 19 are hardly, or the best players at 13 are hardly ever the best players at 18 and 19. Yeah. Um, I think you and I, uh, our, our boys were on the third or fourth team when they were 13 or 14. I can't remember what year it was. Yep. And here they are, both of them uh, heading off to play Division One uh, soccer. So it's 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 just to continue to grind and to work, but most importantly, love what you're doing is the most important thing. Yeah, my daughter, who uh, potentially, and I don't tell my boys, this could be the best athlete in the family. Um, she played uh, She played really, really competitive soccer uh, up until high school. And then she realized you know, she's six feet tall. She wanted to play volleyball, basketball, and and uh, and then play high school soccer. So she wanted the experience of all four of those and happened to go to a very competitive high school. But she joined a challenge team. And this was really smart. This guy put together, he's a volunteer he went and found uh, 15 girls like her who are all very competitive athletes, either in tennis or basketball or volleyball who had played youth soccer and said, would you guys like to do it? So they, 
they went on a run for a couple of years and just just had a blast because yeah, they could play the game. So it was fun to watch. And they did it for the joy of the game, which was also really great. That's, so, that's, a, that's, that's a great program. And those are stories that you love hearing Yeah, all the time about them. Yeah, and it was like, if you could make practice, you can make practice. But otherwise, if you got your tennis practice or your volleyball practice, whatever, you go do that. So, um, you know, they knew that they were training hard. And, and uh, when they showed up in the game and the weekends for the games, it was it was a lot more fun to watch. Uh, on to, uh, you know, how our world changed in March, right? Which is kind of when NCFC is getting ramped up for the spring season, right? Everybody's had some time off. They've started to train in, in February. It's, you know, the weekend games are starting to kick in. When this all happened, Gary, what was it like in your office with the leadership team at NCFC? I mean, was it kind of, hey, we don't even really know what's happening. Let's gather some data. Or did you guys have a plan for something like this? Kind of explain, walk us through what that was like. Yeah, I don't know too many people had a plan for what we're going through right now. Nope. So, you know, certainly, you know, we like to think that we're super organized. I think that we have the best staff in the country. A lot of uh, diverse people with diverse backgrounds and a lot of really, really smart people. Um, yeah, it was interesting. So our rec season was in probably one or two games. Our classic kids probably had one or two games. We were really just getting ramped up. Um, and then I still remember it was the Thursday night. I can't remember if it was a Thursday or Friday, but I saw the NBA had canceled their season. Yeah. And so – Called a quick, you know, we had an early morning meeting that next day, started going through the pros and the cons, started looking at maybe some of the trends, talked to a few colleagues from across the country. And, you know, at that point, made the unpopular decision of just canceling what we were doing right then. Um, So, uh, you know, I had a lot of, a lot of doubters in the office. Mm -hmm. Why are we doing this now? Let's, let's wait. Let's see what comes out. And, you know, for me, it was, I don't want to take a chance of putting somebody at risk just to find out more information. It's easy for us to stop and start if that was what we were going to do. It was was a tough decision. Um, I got, I can't tell you how many emails I received about I'm drinking the Kool-Aid and it's, it's no worse than the flu and all, you know, all all the, you know, the, the gamut of emails that you get. Yeah. But in the end it was, I think we were one of the first, clubs in the country to, to cancel or to pause the season. And, and obviously within a matter of days, everybody was, everybody was down. Yeah. The, the NBA was, was the real first big shoe to drop. Right. I mean, that, that's when everybody realized this is real. Right. And, you know, Sammy, my, our youngest, um, our two boys played together. He was still in season uh, in his club team. So, and they were making a run at the national title again and all those things. So um, it's, it's hilarious. Uh, both of our, our, our wives have been heavily involved, obviously, in, in vested in soccer. Uh, my wife's been a manager of this team for, for years. I think all my boys, even the academy teams, she was more crushed than anybody. I mean, she, she lives for going to weekend soccer games. So um, she kept on hoping, you know, is there a chance we're going to come back? Is there a chance we're going to come back? And, um, I, I, you know, frankly, you know, Sammy was trying to play an indoor game, I think, that first Friday night still. It was still, it was still being scheduled. And I said, there's no way that building's going to be open on Friday night. And Friday afternoon, they, they shut it all down and said, you know, we got to take the cautious approach. And looking back on it, Gary, you guys obviously made the right decision. Um, you know, and yeah. parents probably feel a little bit more comforted that you guys made the right decision. Yeah. I mean, you really didn't have a choice, I think. Nope. Well, it, it, 
you know, it's funny because when we talk about youth sports and you talk about our lives and, and, and how important youth sports is in our, our program is the friendships, not only that the kids have, but, but the families, the parents have. The, yeah. A lot of them, it's a, it's a social network. Yes. It is, it's a, an escape from work. It's, you know, around like-minded people and yep. good people. And, and when that went away, I mean, that, that was a big blow for a lot of families who just wanted to get back out and see their, see their friends and see the, the folks that they spend every Saturday morning with and yeah. growing up with and their kids are growing up with. And, um, you know, it was interesting when we came back in June, we were able to come back for a couple of weeks. It blew me away how many parents showed up at the park. Oh, sure. And just, and just socializing. Yeah. Just, just the human interaction that we missed uh, for such a long time. That was, that was about as uh, impressive for me as it was to see the number of kids who, who wanted to get back out there and, and get after it. You know, I had a conversation with a, a mom who uh, has a 13-year-old daughter that plays uh, challenge soccer, oddly enough. And she's talked about uh, the mental impact on her daughter of not being able to play sports. So first of all, not being in school, like you said, their social network, but sports was her, uh, her, was her mental and physical and emotional outlet. And she's struggling with trying to get her daughter moving again, you know, with soccer gave her a purpose, right? She was on the field and for an hour, she didn't have to think about what to do. It just kind of came right when the coaches talked and the games played. So she said to have a 13 year old have to consciously think about exercise versus just being a kid has been a challenge. So, uh, you know, you touched on the fact that, that people want to be around like-minded people, but I think this is where we shift into the discussion about the importance of youth sports in general for our kids. I mean, how, how critical it is for their physical, mental, and emotional well-being. Yeah, for sure. You know, there, there was a, uh, a, a paper that was just put out by the ECNL a couple of days ago. I haven't read it yet, but it was all about the mental well-being of the athletes during this time. Yeah. And how, how they're having such a hard time coping, how they're having a difficult time of um, just dealing with this new normal that we're living in and not, not able to come out and play. And then when we come out, you can't stand next to each other. And mm -hmm. you know, I have a daughter, you have a daughter. Keeping those girls away from each other when they're on the field is not an easy thing. Yep. And they, they're, they're together, they're tight. And here we are. Hey, make sure you keep your distance. Stay away. Um, it, it's, it's that aspect I, it'll be interesting to see what happens because I'm sure there'll be studies done of the effect of this on, on adolescent kids uh, and, and the effect on them moving forward from the isolation, from the being away from schools, from uh, being able to go out and do the things that they love. I think, I think the effects of this is going to be long time coming or not coming, but it, it's going to be here for a while. It is, and I think that's where uh, you know we'll we'll talk a bit more about. I know that NCFC's back at it, right? Um, my son, who graduated from NC State, uh, has been doing some uh, you know coaching for goalies for for years, and he came home the other night and said, "Dad, I, I need to find another side job." So why he goes, NCFC's back. There's no fields. <laughs> he goes, "I trained a kid in a ditch for an hour tonight." <laughs> So uh, how, how are the, uh, have you done any special training for the coaches? What kind of communicating have you been doing with the parents and the families to, to help them feel comfortable about the approach you guys are taking? What does that, what does that look like, Gary? Yeah, well, well 
right, right after uh, we canceled the season, uh, we put together a, a COVID task force, some board members, some staff, some uh, medical personnel in the, uh, in the area and, and really started to come up with guidelines. Uh, how we're, when we are and how we're going to do everything. So there was, I can't even tell you how many hours were spent on, you know, all the necessary things that we're all doing now, the, you know, tables, yeah, we're, we have a lot of facilities that we're, that we, uh, we operate. So um, are they going to be able to be sanitized properly every day? Are we going to have the, um, the, the hand wash and the, all the necessary things that need to be out there for cleanliness and, the masks, bought a thousand masks with the logo on it to be able to give to the coaches. Sure. Uh, we, we have a six or seven page uh, document. Great. Outlined from every person, coach, parent, player, facility managers, directors um, of exactly what's supposed to be done, how it's supposed to be done. It's, it's pretty thorough. Spent a lot of time on it and it changes every day. Today yeah. we got some more, uh, some updated information that we might be able to start allowing contact uh, in our training sessions from our, from our governing body. So that's exciting to hear. So now exactly what does that entail? How does it change our protocols? Um, you know, this, the Zoom meetings now, obviously we're all attached uh, to these Zoom meetings, but uh, how many meetings we've had with, with our coaches with regards to these protocols, how much time we spend on them, uh, the, the software that we're using to track players for contact tracing, I mean, it, the gamut is just um, is very intensive, and I think we've done a really good job at it. Has there been any, any uh, testing requirements for the players or the parents to participate? Uh, there is not testing that we do. So what we do, right. the first time we came out, we, we went through the questions that you get asked a lot of times when you go into places. Have you been anywhere? Have you been tested positive? Do you have, a, do you have temp, uh, fever? Do you have all the different things we would ask every kid before every practice? Right. So what we have now is we have, we've kind of put that, you know, with our scale, it's tough to do. Yeah. So we've put that back on the parents. We, we know you want a safe environment. We want to have a safe environment. So make sure you check your, your, your child's temperature before you go. If they have a fever, if they're not feeling well, don't come. Right. Don't come out there. So we've put a lot of it now on the individual. You know, there's no pressure not to be out here. Yeah. So, Stay away if you're not feeling good, stay away. Um, and so that's how we're now monitoring it. But as soon as, you know, there have been times where kids have, have tested positive, we know every kid that's been around, we've traded different quads. This group is now shut down where this group might be able to stay. And, um, and again, trying to make sure we take all the necessary precautions. Uh, is there a game schedule? Are they going to resume, you know, scheduled play or is it mostly just practice right now? They, they will at some point. So we've, we've gone through a couple iterations of schedules for all the various leagues. So I think some of the leagues had us starting the end of August. Yesterday's announcement is going to push that back a few weeks, at least a few weeks. You never know what the next announcement is going to be. Nope. Uh, man, let's, let's, hope, let's hope it comes back uh, favorable. But So we, we're just being fluid like everybody else. We have plans. Uh, as it moves, we move with it. Uh, we still have plenty of time to get all of our seasons in yep. uh, throughout, throughout the fall. Typically on a normal year, you, we start games sometimes the last weekend of August, first, first or second week of September. 
So if we get into that second week of September, we're able to get back out. We're trending right about the same dates for games that we have. Okay. What's the communication been like with the, the clubs in the, in region three, right? So the North Carolina, South Carolina clubs, the Florida, Georgia, up to Virginia, um, uh, is the, is the thought process to, to continue to play games where people hop in a car, take a bus, or are you going to stick more around North Carolina teams? What's the thought process there? Yeah, no, it's a good question. So what we did with our top level, the academy level groups, we have now joined a more regional league okay. where we were flying all over the country before. Yep. And there are still a couple of leagues that we could have been in Yep. that do that. We chose not to do it because we just think the time is one economically, it doesn't make sense anymore. Um, obviously the safety of getting on buses, planes, those type of things. So, uh, we've actually, so we got, we're about a hundred different leagues that we're in. So, yeah. so in the top level leagues, which is the ECNL leagues, we have limited for the fall where the North Carolina teams are only playing North Carolina teams. Virginia teams are only playing Virginia teams. Makes North Carolina sense. teams are only playing South Carolina teams. So we're, we're trying to limit that overnight stay and travel. And hopefully when we get into the spring season or things lighten up, then we'll be able to get back out and maybe get some extra games. But the interesting thing that's going on in the country right now with youth soccer is each state is different with regards to who's playing and who's not playing. Okay. So South Carolina is wide open. They're playing. Yeah. So you have, you have teams in North Carolina who are choosing to take the kids down to South Carolina to go play games. Oh. There's always, there's always a way around a rule, right? Mm-hmm. So there's, there's uh, Florida. It's wide open. They're playing. Clubs are teams are going back and forth. Uh, Louisiana's shut down. There's, their teams are going to Alabama to play. So it's you know it, there's probably ten or twelve states that are wide open playing games, getting after it, and then there's states like ours that are still social distance, waiting on waiting on the word. So I'll, I'll ask a, a question that doesn't apply to Gary, the head of NCFC, but Gary, the the father and the sports fan, yeah. and then. Uh, so I, I look at what the, the professional teams have done in the professional leagues, right? So you got the NBA uh, grouped down in Orlando in a facility in a, in a couple different resorts. You got MLS doing the same thing. You got NHL doing the same thing. Uh, baseball tried not to do that, right? So they're, they're doing a little more travel. Um, but I, I'm, as, a, as a father and as somebody that's kind of, you know, as a business person watching this, I wonder about the level of expectation um, for containing this, right? So when you see Major League Baseball cancel a weekend series because some people on the team tested positive, mm-hmm. I think about our kids going back to college and to play sports. Well, when you drop 10,000 kids in a college campus, it's going to get in there and it's going to spread. If the expectation is we want zero tolerance for anybody getting in, we're going to quarantine everybody, there's really no way to return to any kind of a normal lifestyle. So you think about 25,000 kids in a soccer club and we open it up, it's going to happen. And obviously we know kids do much better with this, right? Right. Right. Um, And it depends on how parents interact with that. So um, when you guys talk about it as a club and you look at the professional leagues are doing, is there more of a pragmatic approach? What I love that you said is, hey, if you're a parent, you've got to own this and be responsible. When you're an adult professional, you get paid and it's your job. It's a different level of discussion. So... I think parenting comes into big, a big play here in how we manage and mitigate this and a lot of common sense. What are your thoughts? Yeah, there's so many thoughts because there's, there, there's so much, so many layers to that question. Yep. 
when you when you take um, let's take uh, our my my daughter and my son are in college, and and they're they're actively now training with their teams. Um, how they're going to keep those players from not interacting with they're trying to keep them in the bubble as much as they can, but they still now I would say my daughter's at Ole Miss. All of her classes have gone online. So she lives with her soccer players. The only place she'll be going is to the soccer facility where they're tested and they take great care of her. Uh, as you would imagine, an SEC school sport would. Yep. So I feel really good about her and her situation because she's going to be really contained. Yep. She's probably more contained than most kids. Sure. Now, uh, my son, who's at University of Alabama, Birmingham, a little bit different. Some of his classes are on campus, so he's going to be interacting with the normal population. Um, you know, I'm not so worried about them getting it. Yeah. I'm not one. I, uh, me, I've, the, the data suggests that our healthy kids, younger, aren't going to have as many issues with it. And right. Get off on that. But I'm not so worried about them getting it. But how they are going to get through a season because once you test anybody you're around 14 days, uh, how many how many kids on your team? Yeah. You got all that going on, which is so tough. That's the logistical nightmare, right? Because once you get to the quarantine four kids, it rolls through the team at that point, and right. you never you're never fully at full strength. Without question, without yeah. question. And so, you know, a lot of a lot of the questions for for these college teams were how far apart do we schedule our our games? We play one game every 14 games, every 14 days. We play one game every seven days. Yeah. That's, that's for much smarter people than me. Uh, that, that, that's, that's a tough one. Yeah. I'll also add, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add one more to the professional sports was the NWSL. Yeah. It was that first group that was the first sports group in our country. Yep. Who, who put on an incredible tournament. No, nobody tested positive. And I think set a really nice model for how to move forward. Obviously, what they're doing down in, with the NBA, I think, is great. Yep. The NHL, nice to be able to watch our Hurricanes playing again. So that that that's fun. And winning. And winning. That's yeah. right. So yeah, it's um, I, and it's gonna when we get back out, we're gonna we're gonna get into it where kids are gonna get it. We're gonna settle down, and and within the leagues, we're talking about okay, I'm supposed to go to. Where I'm a Virginia team, I'm supposed to go to South Carolina on a on a on a Friday, and Friday morning, kid wakes up, has a fever, gets tested, they're positive. Team's halfway down. Hey, sorry, we can't play you. We got to quarantine ten people. Yep. And that's why we kind of kept things North Carolina, Virginia, and keep them closed. But it, it's going to be so difficult to be able to get through this uh, if we continue that the narrative that we have, and 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 the. In the, in the manner in which we do, which is your 14 days and anybody around. Yeah, you're right. And I think it's, it's uh, what I've had discovered with uh, parents of kids at college, not even athletes at college, right, is if you drop these kids into a school, and, and I know some, like Notre Dame and some other universities have identified quarantine dorms, right? If you test positive, you go stay for 14 days in this dorm and isolate yourself. I, I wonder at the practicality of that, right? If that person tested positive, there's a good a chance that they interacted with another 300 kids in the last two days. So tracing that back and isolating just seems to be a challenge. And some families who have family members who are at home, either in the home or close relatives that they care for at risk, are nervous about 
the schools, getting them all there for a month and then sending everyone home, right? Which really spreads it. So uh, I don't know how that's managed, but I think, again, back to that pragmatic approach is if we think this population can handle it, then you kind of got to get them there, let them deal with it and let them stay there. Right. As long as they can get the right. I agree 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we're, we are, I don't know if we're blessed or not, but our, our son, Sandy got, you know, he had COVID this summer and uh, he was at a, a graduation photo event and two boys there had it, didn't know it. And 14 of the 18 kids that were there in the photography event got it. And, uh, around seven or eight of them had symptoms and they had a fever. Uh, some of them didn't even have fever. They were just tired. Sammy, you know, was just tired and he had like a head, head cold for four days and then he was fine. He was back to training again. Um, but it was, uh, we talk about the, 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 the soccer mom network, men that the, the text group is blowing up, right? So-and-so's got this and they all got tested at one day. His coaching staff was like, that's fantastic. Glad you already went through it. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of that that's going out there. Nobody's going to say that. Publicly. Publicly, yep. Publicly, nobody's going to say that, but it's almost as if, you know, you want, not that you want, I'm not, you know, suggesting that people want it, but. Absolutely. If you're going to go through it and you are going to have symptoms like those folks have, get it, be done. Now, people would could, could argue, do we know, are you able to get it again? Do you have enough antibodies? All those questions. Unknowns, but, yeah. You know, I, I think that is something that is talked about privately in the sports world, but will never be said publicly. Agreed. He's in a, uh, a, a dorm floor uh, for, for eight, there's eight soccer players in his, uh, in the four rooms he's in. And uh, you know, they're, they're doing a good job. Like you said, of keeping these kids isolated to their group, um, trying to keep them closely contained. And um, once classes start, that'll be a little more interesting. He has, I think four of his classes are in, are in person classes. So he actually is going on campus. Um, and again, it's very interesting how schools are approaching this differently. Uh, but you know, he's, he's excited to be there. He's excited to be playing. Uh, he's healthy. So we're, we're, we're blessed that he handled when he got it. Um, you know, as we hoped he would, uh, we oddly enough, I think we did as best as we could to kind of keep him sequestered in one part of the house, but you know, the rest of us knock on wood made it through. Okay. So, um, either we had it and just didn't have any symptoms or, you know, it's just a straight, it's just a strange thing. So, you know, Gary, um, I appreciate the background on NCFC. You got a lot on your plate, a lot to handle for, for both parents, kids, and, and I think soccer in general. And North Carolina is, a, is thought to be a leader in the soccer world in the country. Sure. Um, you're blessed that you've got some good teams to play locally, right? So um, moving on, Gary, tell me a little bit about uh, the dead animal in the corner of your office. What... Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah, I probably should have taken that down. No, I, that, that you've got, I've got to have something interesting that, you know, isn't necessarily just COVID or soccer related. So uh, when did you, when did you kill Bambi? Well, it, it, I would say it's more than a dead animal. I would call it a trophy buck. Okay. Trophy buck. A West Texas trophy buck that uh, is still sitting there. Cause I'm not quite sure where it's going to go up in, uh, in the house. Still waiting for uh, mama fame to decide if it's going up and where she wants it when it goes up. So How many points? Uh, 13. Nice. It's a pretty big deer. It's a pretty big deer. Where in Texas did you get it? It's uh, West Texas, um, kind of just west of San Antonio. A bunch of my buddies get down. I'm a big outdoorsman. Do mm -hmm. a, lot of, do a lot of deer hunting, uh, a lot of bow hunting, a lot of uh, um, 
duck hunting, bird hunting, turkey hunting, as much as I can. So uh, buddies of mine, we get together once a year uh, from back in Louisiana and find di different places. So that was from two years ago. Last year we did a uh, duck hunt in, in Texas. This year we're still trying to figure out where we're going to go if we go so, has, uh, has, has the hunting season or hunting rules been affected by this at all? Uh, not, not at this point, no. Yeah. I know, uh, yeah, I know that we're, the, the business I work for at NetCertive, we're a, uh, a digital marketing firm and we do a lot in the marine space. Uh, the boat dealers and ATV dealers we dealt with have had absolutely record years. Oh, yeah. You can't it's find similar. a boat anywhere. So one of, one of the big things uh, that my youngest son got into during this COVID time was uh, is fishing. Sure. Always liked fishing. We didn't ever do really much around here when we moved, but he and a couple of his buddies, uh, he picked it up and I mean, they're, they're, they're fishing morning and night. So I went to go buy some tackle for them and can't find it. There. You can't find it. No. So we got a, a little John boat that we wanted to have, get a little motor for. I was talking to a guy at the store. He says, typically they have six, 700 motors in the back. They were down to like 20. He said, I will get one for another six months Yeah, because of the back order of it. But just the amount of, uh, you go into one of those stores and go into the fishing side, mm -hmm. there's nothing left. It's decimated. So, you know, we talk about the, the challenges and the risks and the downside of recent events with COVID. The, the upside is the amount of time people have spent uh, outdoors and just talking with their families versus, you know, scattering. Um, you know, we've played more cards as a family than I think we have in the previous 20 years with, with our kids. And uh, it's been great. I mean, actually having everybody home, particularly before they head off to college has been a, a, a real blessing. So there are some, uh, Americans have a, a really interesting way of rallying. And uh, we can shift and adapt pretty quickly. And it's interesting to see how we've done that. Yeah, you're right. I mean, obviously, I, I, I can't uh, imagine there'll be another time where I'll have my two college-age kids and my youngest all in my house for four months, completely captive, completely yep. all sitting around, eating dinner together. We've never done that. Anymore. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, especially if you've, if you've got kids playing sports, you know you kind of eat when you can, right? There's a practice or a game or a schedule every night. So yeah. we've, uh, we've certainly enjoyed that downtime. In fact, when Sammy went to school, which means Julie and I are officially empty nesters, right. um, she came downstairs and the next day and had a little bit of an emotional breakdown about, you know, when's the next time I'm going to watch a soccer game and be able to have dinner with my kids, which basically she was implying, Gary, she's just stuck with me. That's right. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> I'm going through the same thing over here. Yeah, I know. Well, Gary, I, I don't want to uh, wrap up the rest of your day, but I, I'm really grateful we had a chance to connect. And I think our listeners will be uh, really interested in hearing, you know, how you guys, first of all, adapted and then the plan you put in place. And we hope that uh, you and the coaching staff and all the parents and the kids can stay safe and that you guys can get to play in pretty soon and uh, really appreciate the time you spent with us today. Well, thanks, Pete. Thanks for having me on. I I'm excited to see more of your podcast. This well, is fun. I appreciate our, our three listeners will be really, you know, glad to hear about it. So <laughs> thanks again, Gary. And that's it for another episode of Eating Crow. Uh, stay tuned for more. Thanks for listening to another episode of Eating Crow, available on all podcast platforms. You can follow Pete on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram to join the Eating Crow community. 
Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. We'll see you soon.